Welcome to the library, where it's always okay, maybe even encouraged, to get lost. This week's story comes from Mr. Andrew Heaton. He's the host of The Political Orphanage, the curator of one of the best Twitter feeds you'll ever find, The Mighty Heaton, and the author of the brand new book, Inappropriately Human. 21 Short Stories I've been a fan of Andrew Heaton for quite some time, and when he agreed to very generously donate his words to my mouth for your ears, I literally jumped for joy. Inappropriately Human 21 Short Stories is a fantastic collection of stories involving robots, aliens, time travelers, and a variety of other comedic topics that offer a great, fun look at a lighter dystopia. Inappropriately Human is available on both Amazon and Audible as a paperback, an ebook, and obviously an audiobook as well. I'll put the links in the show notes. Also, if you're curious to hear more from Andrew Heaton, you can always go check out the aforementioned Political Orphanage. I can't thank Andrew enough for allowing me to feature this on this fledgling little podcast called Lost in the Library. Enjoy the story. Inappropriately Human 21 Short Stories Titanium Glaciers by Andrew Heaton Their antenna sticks up from the complex at more or less the same location as where the Methodist church used to be. At dusk, from my kitchen window, it looks reminiscent of the neighborhood's old skyline with the silhouette of the antenna mimicking the steeple. I suppose in purpose they're similar. What was the steeple but a way for us humans to broadcast our thoughts to the heavens? The antenna does the same thing, only more effectively. Granted, we don't know who they're talking to, or about what, but in that sense, the divine mystery trundles on. Maybe awe and mystery are dead to the machines, but by my lights, we're just as shut out from their realm as from any heavenly body. At least now we don't have to crane our necks to be stupefied. Yesterday I saw one of them skitter across the top of the complex, roundabouts where the Johnson's farm used to be. Its skinny frame and coloring reminded me of a greyhound. Madison drew a picture of it. You'll have to come over and see her book. I take Madison to visit my mother at the care center every weekend, and the two of them like to go through Mom's ornithology books. Madison started creating her own book, 
only with drawings of the machines two years ago. When you flip through her book, you can see how the machines native to our country have changed in the short time since Madison began cataloging them. The one I saw yesterday differed from the most common model Madison sketched last year. You can see how the heads have gone from bulbous to almost conical. Five years ago, the new units were black. Now they're white again. Why do you suppose that is? I like to think some elements of their makers managed to creep into the deeper programming. That the color changes are fashion trends, or an echo of self-expression. I'm quite relieved that the complex has quit expanding in our direction. I thought our neighborhood was gone for sure when the machines planted that huge metal support leg through the middle of the grocery store. As it happens, the grocery store isn't even gone. It took a couple of weeks, but the insurance claim came in, and now Barney has reinforced the ceiling, utilizing that mammoth support leg like a giant tree sprouting through the middle of the frozen goods section. I have friends who lived in Burlington who could watch the labyrinth of wires and conduits expanding day by day, like people in the South watch kudzu grow. It took three years of those circuits and mainframes stretching and unfolding, but the relentless creep of apparatus eventually edged out half the town before stopping. Madison and I drove out once or twice to the edge of that complex to distribute blankets and sandwiches to the people who lost their homes. Most folks waited until their houses started to creak from the pressure of the machine's expansion, then would check into a hotel. But some people, for lack of money or a reluctance to stray far from their lawns, set up lawn chairs and tents. Until FEMA swooped in and sent them to shelters. Before the complex in our neighborhood quit expanding, I looked out the kitchen window every morning to check on the progress of that titanium glacier on an apparent collision course with our house. Remember when the machine still spoke to us? We were about Madison's age, I think. Second or third grade. Back then, the machines looked so human. We had built them intentionally that way. They had only just started thinking, in a real sense. And they met with everybody. Schools, churches, rotary clubs. Even then, they were ten times smarter than the smartest human. But out of guilt or sheer pragmatism, they engaged in public relations. I don't remember who gave our high school commencement address, but I remember the machine from years earlier who spoke to our elementary school. How we all sat cross-legged and attentive in the gym as a bionic walked to the podium and shook hands with our principal. The big, unblinking fisheye lens on its face that panned across the room as it spoke. It's patient polite answers to our questions? Machines were so much more exciting back then. <laughs> what would it mean when they were 
a hundred times smarter than us. A thousand. A billion. My parents discussed it endlessly. Dad thought they would eventually wipe us all out. Once they got clever enough, he reasoned, they would see us as competition and exterminate us. Machines would become the top life form on Earth and enslave or exterminate their nearest competitor. Mom took the opposite tack. Either as their creators or their parents, the machines would think kindly of us. They would not carry greed and selfishness in their souls as we do. They would be gods fashioned from silicon and circuitry, here to save us from ourselves. Tonight we're having a town hall meeting to debate whether or not to paint the machine's complex a different color. Now that they're done with construction. The mayor thinks we should paint it sky blue, in a paltry attempt to forget the behemoth pillars and towers rising from our otherwise one-story homes and farms. My mother thinks we should commission artists to paint murals across it, like we did with the water tower. I wish my father was still around to see what's become of the machines and us. <laughs> he would find it all terribly funny that he and mother were so far off the mark, so very egotistical in their assumptions about the nature of the machine's relationship with us. He would point out that on the way to the town meeting tonight, none of the attendant humans will give a single thought to the anthills they stride past on their way into the building. When you're that far advanced, that removed... You do not entertain pity or malice. You are thinking about other things.